0: City, WLCC, Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app
1: or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey.
0: The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded.
1: All people have a conscience and they know what's right or wrong. They know what's right and wrong. They have the witness of their conscience. They know when they're doing evil because their conscience, that moral monitor, tells them. They knew they were in wickedness. Not only that, but Genesis chapter 3 teaches they had a promise of a savior. How was Noah saved? He believed the promise of Genesis 3.15 that said one of the woman's seed would eventually crush the head of Satan, meaning the Messiah, the Savior. They had the promise of a Savior. There were people who were saved back then. They may not have understood all the details of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, they didn't understand all the details. They didn't know the name of Jesus Christ. But they understood that there was a coming Savior. And if they put their hope and confidence in that coming Savior, they would be saved eternally saved and redeemed
0: the story of the flood can make a lot of people uncomfortable Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, for instance, what would you say if a person asked you, um, what kind of God destroys men, women, children, babies, animals, teenagers? That can be a very uncomfortable question if you don't understand God's heart. First, he is a righteous God and he is a just God, but he is also a God of love. He gave the human race of that day ample warning that judgment was coming. Now, I don't want to say any more than that. If I did, well, I'd be stealing our teacher's thunder. In just a moment, we will be hearing from Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Now, with today's lesson, here is Pastor Steve.
1: What can we say about God? Doesn't it cause you to wonder what kind of a God would do this? And I remind you again, infants were killed, day-old babies were killed, Mothers who loved their children were killed. Businessmen, teenagers, people in the prime of life. What kind of a God would do this? A righteous God. As difficult as this scene is, a righteous and a holy God who has every right to send judgments upon sinners. Now, that may not be palatable to you, but that's what the Bible teaches. That's how serious the sin issue is. That's how serious your sin and my sin. That's how serious justice is to God and holiness and righteousness. And we make them kind of trifling issues. They're not trifling issues. He will not tolerate sin. The Bible says he is of pure eyes than to even look upon iniquity. But in the big picture of the flood, you also see God's mercy. And patience. And I want you to see this. It reveals that God has given them, and watch this, every opportunity to repent. God did not just send the flood without warning, and mercy always precedes judgment. Never look at judgment as something that just happens. God always gives the opportunity to repent so that if there is anyone to blame, it is never God. It is always people. Now, let me just share with you Did these people have light? Could these people have responded? Absolutely. I want you to know how patient and long suffering God was, how many opportunities these people had. What kind of a life do they have? First of all, Romans chapter 1 verses 19 and 20 tell us that they have the witness of nature pointing to God in Romans chapter 1 19 and 20 you read because that which is known about God is evident in my version it says evident within them but it means among them and I take it he means here nature creation for God has made it evident to them for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse the ancient world didn't have an excuse just like our world doesn't have an excuse, they could see great truths about God, they could see light about the Lord in his creation. They may not have known all about God, but if they responded to the little light that he gave them, and actually it's a lot of light, God would have given them more light and more light and more light. The truth of the matter is they had the light of nature and they said no, they didn't care about it. Secondly, they had the witness of their own conscience. Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 say this, For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. What Paul is teaching is that, yes, and he's making a contrast between the Jewish person who had the law and the Gentile person who didn't have the law of God, but we're applying it now to the ancient world before there was any Jews or Gentiles. And Paul is teaching that ancient man had a conscience. All people have a conscience, and they know what's right or wrong. They know what's right and wrong. They have the witness of their conscience. They know when they're doing evil because their conscience, that moral monitor, tells them. They knew they were in wickedness. Not only that, but Genesis chapter 3 teaches they had a promise of a savior. How was Noah saved? He believed the promise of Genesis 3.15 that said one of the woman's seed would eventually crush the head of Satan, meaning the Messiah, the Savior. They had the promise of a Savior. There were people who were saved back then. They may not have understood all the details of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, they didn't understand all the details. They didn't know the name of Jesus Christ. But they understood that there was a coming Savior. And if they put their hope and confidence in that coming Savior, they would be eternally saved and redeemed. They also have the knowledge of a blood sacrifice. You have Cain and Abel. You have Abel who brought a blood sacrifice and brought it to God the right way, with the right attitude. And you have Cain who did it of his own works and disregarded God's way of a blood sacrifice. They have that. They had the preaching of Enoch. Remember Enoch, the 7th from Adam, who preached according to Jude said that the Lord is coming to execute judgment on the ungodly. For hundreds of years this man was preaching, a message of repentance. They had the light of that. They also had the preaching of Noah for 120 years. The Bible says Noah was a preacher of righteousness, 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 5. 120 years Noah was preaching, telling people to repent. That's a long ministry. Then it also says in Genesis 6-3 that the Holy Spirit said, I won't always strive with them. So they had the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Spirit of God, uh, working in their lives, drawing them somewhat to Christ, enlightening them. The Holy Spirit was there. They disregarded it. And in addition to all this, Genesis 7 says they had one last week where God put Noah and his family in the ark with the animals, one last chance to repent, and they didn't. And they didn't. So I want you to understand that before God ever sends judgment, he always gives light, always makes a way of escape. Why? Because he's patient and he's merciful. So we want to be balanced in our perspective. You don't want to just see what kind of a God would send judgment, but what kind of a God told people that judgment was coming and gave them the opportunity. You know, God didn't have to do that. God would be just as righteous and just if he never told anybody that judgment was coming. But he has. He has. And this is precisely, and here's the analogy for us, This is precisely the way it's going to be when the tribulation period hits on this earth. Even though people have been warned by pastors and Bible teachers of the coming judgment of God and the seven-year horrible tribulation period before Jesus returns, there have been people who have been witnessed to. Some of you, perhaps, have witnessed to family members, relatives, friends, and you're concerned about them. Are they going to accept Christ after we're raptured? There'll be a lot of people who will have heard the truth beforehand. Not only that, but even the media now spreads words like Armageddon and judgment and the return of Christ. Those are just popular terms today, and yet the Bible teaches that the world will still be caught unaware by God's judgments, and I want to ask you why. Why in light of all that's been said about judgment will people be caught unaware and not prepared for it? And they won't be prepared for it. In fact, it's going to take them even a little while to wake up to the fact that all the catastrophes going on, natural disasters, are not just works of, as we say, Mother Nature, whoever she may be. This is the judgment of God. It says that in Revelation 6. They're going to call for the rocks and the mountains to fall upon them, for the day of God's wrath has come. See, the question is this. If God gives so much light before he judges, then why don't people respond? I think that's a valid question. Why is it that people don't respond to the light when there's so much light out there, why did the people of Noah's day respond to the light? Well, that's what I'm going to tell you right now. There are two basic reasons and two types of people that scripture tells us about that give us insight as to why people don't respond to the light. Why is it that people, no matter how much they hear, are not interested in judgment? First of all, number one, let's turn to Second Peter chapter 3, it tells us about a unique kind of person. You might know people like this. They're called mockers or scoffers. He says in 2 Peter 3, verse 3, "...know this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts." In the last days, he says, there are going to be mockers coming. Notice that last phrase. Remember that in a moment we're going to look at it. "...following after their own lusts." And here's what they say, verse 4, "...where's the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation." Now, we won't go into all the other verses except to say that Peter says, look, when they say this, they forget about creation and they forget about the flood. But for our purpose, we want to see that there are some people who mock and ridicule Christianity and especially the second coming of Christ. Now, these are not ordinary unbelievers, but people with deep antagonism, deep antagonism. This is not your uh, ordinary person, but this is a person who has great hatred, intense hatred towards Christ, towards the gospel, the people who just delight in mocking you, they make fun of believers and Christianity, and especially the Lord's return. Why? Why do they do this? Sometimes professors intimidate college students, they make it seem like it's an intellectual issue. I was listening to a tape yesterday in which some fellow, I think he's a geologist, some scientist, said, "Uh, we've got to get away from these simple Sunday school stories. The simple stuff, that's just ridiculous. Why are people like that? I want you to know it's not a scholarship issue. It's not an intellectual issue. It's not a rationale, logic kind of issue. Peter tells us plainly what's behind their mocking. Notice the end of verse 3. Following after their own lusts. That's a key statement. In other words, these are selfish people interested only in gratifying and satisfying their own sinful desires. You see, here's the point. The reason they mock Christ's return is that they are offended by the moral demands of the Bible. They're offended by it and especially the teaching that Christ will return to judge their behavior. Because if there is one who will return to judge their behavior, then they are going to give an account for their behavior, and they're not just people who can do their own thing without the consequences. Now, a prime example of what Peter is talking about, and I've shared this before, but it's been quite a while, is the famous atheist and author Aldous Huxley. Aldous Huxley attacked Christianity. Later in his life, though, he admitted That his antagonism stemmed from his desire to be free to sin. Here's his own words. Here's what he said. I had motives for not wanting the world to have a meaning. Consequently, assumed that it had not. And was able without any difficulty to find satisfying reasons for this assumption. The philosopher who finds, watch this, no meaning for this world is not concerned exclusively with the problem of pure metaphysics. He is also concerned to prove there is no valid reason why he personally should not do as he wants to. For myself, he writes, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation, sexual and political. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying that the reason that he was so intensely antagonistic towards Christianity was not purely a scientific issue for him. He wanted to be free to do whatever he wanted to do. He wanted to be sexually free. He wanted to be politically free. He didn't want any moral restraints upon him, which the Bible puts upon a person. So remember, when someone mocks God's judgment, the issue is not being open-minded or seeking the truth or intellectual integrity. It's because they have adapted. A godless philosophy that has no room for a God who judges sin because they want to live a certain way without any moral restrictions. In fact, I remember years ago, I was talking to an individual, a man, about accepting Christ, and we were going back and forth, going nowhere. You know how those conversations are. They're just going nowhere with sharing the gospel. So finally, I said to him, Do you have a moral problem? And he stopped and he said, Yeah, how do you know? And he began to tell me what his moral problem was. You know, he didn't have an intellectual problem. He presented it that way. That was a cover-up. He had a moral problem. The issue was not that he couldn't figure out Christianity. The issue was that he didn't want God to tell him what to do, because he loved his sins. Jesus said in John chapter 3, men love darkness. That's why they don't come to the light. It's not an intellectual issue. If it is with some people, you can very easily clear that up. You heard Dean Ortner this last week. Is there anybody you know brighter than Dean Ortner? I mean, I'm intimidated to just be around him. I remember years ago I said, you want to shoot some baskets? He said, no, but I'll figure out the trajectory of your basketball hoop. I took him to a baseball game. He brings a book. Uh, he's reading about evolution. What kind of a guy is this? He's brilliant. If Dean Ortner has no problem accepting the gospel, then certainly uh, anyone else we know shouldn't have a problem intellectually accepting the gospel. The issue is a moral issue. We'll not have this man to reign over us. So that's why there are mockers and scoffers. Understand that young people, especially you who are in college and meet professors and others who kind of belittle what you believe and say it's so simplistic, please don't be intimidated. Stand for the truth of the word of God and use the word of God. Don't be intimidated that you have to have all kinds of responses and scientific approaches. You know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God, whether somebody accepts it or not, is still the word of God and still works powerfully in their life. It's like if somebody breaks into my home and they hold a gun to me and I say, I don't believe that works. It doesn't matter what I believe. If They pull the trigger. It's going to kill me or hurt me. So use the word of God. Even if they say, I don't believe in that book, use it anyway. So the first reason and the first type of person who does not respond to the message of God's judgment is one who is a mocker, and he's a mocker because he doesn't want anyone telling him what to do morally. But there's a second type of individual who hears, and this is the majority, A second type of individual who hears about judgment over and over again, perhaps family members of yours, neighbors, acquaintances, and just like the people of Noah's day, they do not respond. Why is this? Well, for that, we have to turn to Matthew chapter 24. We uh, sort of close where we began, and that is in Matthew 24, known as the Olivet Discourse, because Jesus gave this on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. Then I guess it would have been just outside the city of Jerusalem. Today it's in the city of Jerusalem. Jesus explained about the coming tribulation period. But he said this in verse 37. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. He was making a comparison between when he comes back and when judgment hit in Noah's day. He said it's going to be very similar. For as in those days which were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Now let's just stop here for a moment. There are many who look at this and say Jesus was talking about the wickedness of that day. That's not my understanding. It was a wicked day. But my understanding of what Jesus was saying was that more than wickedness, he's talking about apathy. Apathy. There's nothing wrong in getting married, nothing wrong in giving your children in marriage, nothing wrong with eating, anything wrong with drinking. I mean, you have to do that. I think he just meant it was business as usual. In spite of the fact that Noah was preaching and we looked at all the other light that they had, they didn't care. They didn't care. And so Jesus says in verse 39, and they did not understand. They didn't comprehend it. They were unprepared until the flood came and took them all away. And so the coming of the Son of Man will be. That's the way it's going to be when Jesus returns. Jesus said the people of Noah's day were totally unprepared for the great judgment of the flood. He said they didn't understand. They didn't understand. And yet, why didn't they understand? They could have. Didn't Noah tell them? Didn't the Holy Spirit strive with them? Here's the point. They weren't concerned about judgment. Just like the majority of people today. They're not concerned about it. They hear about it. But they're too busy enjoying the normal pursuits of life. They're just too busy. They didn't even give it a second thought. They probably went home and laughed at Noah. Maybe they didn't even do that. Maybe they didn't even give it any kind of a thought. Too busy enjoying the normal pursuits of life. Too busy going to work. Too busy getting married. Too busy giving their children marriage. Too busy preparing a meal. Too busy. They just didn't care. And I wonder what must have gone through their minds... When the flood came, when the rain began to pour down and the oceans began to erupt from beneath the earth, what fear, think about that, what fear must have gripped their hearts? What panic must have come over them? No place to go. You can run to the hills, but it's not going to last very long. It was too late then. There is a great cover of the magazine Israel My Glory some years ago, I think from 1983, but a cover in which an artist depicted the Ark. No and his family are inside, and the panic of people outside as the waters are beginning to rise, banging on the door. But it was a time when God's patience finally ran out. The day of grace ended back then. And Jesus said that this same attitude of busyness and preoccupation with daily living will be prevalent just before he returns to judge this world. Now, you know what? Some of us here... Maybe just like the people of Noah's day. You haven't responded because you really don't think seriously about this. You know, you come to church, you hear a message like this, you can hear it on the radio, you read a book, everybody knows about it, but just like the people of Noah's day, you're kind of too busy just trying to survive in this life. Too busy for God. I think that's the majority of the people we know. Just too busy. Too busy working, too busy making money, too busy trying to get by. But think about those people in Noah's day, what must have gone through their minds. Like, why didn't we respond? He told us this, and I think that's going to be the way it is when Jesus comes again. Why didn't we respond? Why didn't we listen to that pastor? Why didn't we listen to our relatives? Why didn't we read the Bible ourselves? Why didn't we get on our knees and trust Christ as our Savior? But you know what? The day of grace has not ended yet. For you, it still continues. If you have never accepted Christ, don't wait until tomorrow. You know why? You could have a heart attack and die tomorrow, and then it's too late. Why be so foolish to give it one more day? Now, I'm saying this, and I don't want to put human pressure on you, except that as I trust, as I'm putting a little pressure, the Holy Spirit is putting a lot of pressure on you. Some of you have wives who have pleaded with you to accept Christ are doing the best they can to live a godly example before you. Some of you have husbands who have told you about your need for Christ. Some of you have children and grandchildren who have witnessed to you and prayed for you, and you think that's cute. It's more than cute. It's reality. And you need to accept Christ. So I said, how foolish to wait for that second heart attack when it may be too late. Accept him while you can. And for those of us who are believers, you know what this says to me? It says keep witnessing more than ever. As a church, we've got to be more involved in missions, but not just missions overseas. We heard about the great need for missions right in our own country, but right in our own backyard, our neighbors, our friends. Keep looking for opportunities. Keep alert to open doors. Keep praying for people. Keep witnessing. Write a letter to them if you have to. Invite people to church. Tell them about the Ark of safety, Jesus Christ, because someday it's going to be too late. Let's bow for prayer. I think it's most appropriate that we just have some silence in a few moments. Silence for you to respond in your heart to what God's Word says. You never want to hear the Word of God and just go out and let the Word kind of be snatched from you. God demands a response. Will you be more diligent in witnessing? Will you ask the Lord to help you to witness, to not be afraid, to evangelize? Some of us have never even shared the whole gospel with anybody. We ask God to help you to do that? Because there's nothing more important in this world. And for others, perhaps you need to call upon the name of the Lord to save you now. Because judgment is coming. If you'd like to speak to somebody about accepting Christ, there will be our leaders up here after the service and you can talk to them. Father, what a sobering few verses these are. Lord, I've tried to visualize I Can't even imagine precisely what horror it must have been like for the waters to erupt all around this planet. The earth to just crack and water is gushing forth and the canopy just spilling out on the earth. And what fear and panic and horror must have gripped people. Lord, and billions of people died and yet they didn't need to. Think of Noah today and not only back then, but in the safety of your presence. Noah's with you in heaven, been enjoying you and your presence for all these years Lord, everyone here, I trust and pray for each one who's here today that that will be their experience, that they'll know for certain that they are in the ark of safety, Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, for our relatives. Perhaps there's someone who's on each one of our hearts right now that we can pray for before it's too late. And I pray, Father, that you'll help us to be more motivated than ever to witness, to evangelize, and to remember, even when it's uncomfortable for us, Even when it's inconvenient, we're talking about something that's far more important than even a flood and physical death, but eternal death, hell. So I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to be missions-minded in every sense of what that means. And I pray that even in this congregation, you'll draw to yourself those who need to know you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: The word gospel means good news. Jesus died for our sins, and that indeed is good news. However, the gospel also contains bad news, judgment. Just like in Noah's day, people today hear about it, but they're too busy enjoying, well, we'll say the normal pursuits of life, too busy going to work, too busy getting married, too busy with life. They just didn't care in Noah's day, and they just don't care today. But back then, when the flood hit, oh, What must have gone through everyone's minds? I mean, what fear must have gripped their hearts? What panic must have come over them? Nowhere to go. Well, today, God's grace is still available to whosoever will. I want to thank you for joining us on today's Verse by Verse program. We are out of time, but I hope you can tune in next time as Pastor Steve Kreloff will continue with the series Noah and the